Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Thank you so much for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got. That, of course, is your time. If you're new to the show, I hope that you'll get a ton of value from this episode. And I want to take a moment to just thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention. Elizabeth Sanderson has an impressive history of leadership in both for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. And in June of 2021, she took over as executive director of the much-loved Solar Energy International, an organization based in Colorado with a 30-year heritage of training both domestic and global solar warriors like yourself in the skills needed to enter the clean energy workforce. She brings a passion for SEI's mission of expanding a diverse, well-trained solar workforce to mitigate climate change, promote sustainable economic growth, and support energy independence. Elizabeth's skills draw from executive leadership roles as diverse as a nonprofit with a mission of ending world hunger, no small feat, to an advertising agency that built several worldwide brands and a solar startup that aimed at revolutionizing flexible solar. Today, she and I get into how Elizabeth is scaling SEI while staying true to that organization's key differentiators of quality education and an authentic family culture. I know many of you have gone through SEI's training and I hope you're eager to hear this conversation. If you do like what you hear and you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, I would encourage you to do that because that'll help you ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. You can always check out more than 490 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. Man, we're getting close to 500 here. (laughs) For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, many of you, as I, have been eager to hear more about the latest leader of an organization that is high in affinity in the hearts and minds of many solar warriors who are also tuning in on a regular basis to Suncast and following along in our general tribe as solar warriors, as we call ourselves. So I am taking the advice of my friend, Johnny Weiss, and another great friend, Kristen Kirsch, who have said, you really, really got to get Elizabeth Sanderson on Suncast. Of course, I have long wanted to get Johnny and Elizabeth's predecessor on Suncast, and we've finally been able to make it work out. And so we are uh, realizing another milestone here on Suncast today to finally, at long last, incorporate the leadership of an organization that has partnered with Suncast for the entirety of our existence. Elizabeth, I'm so glad to welcome you to Suncast today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. There are many different I think there are many different angles and avenues that we're probably going to explore in our conversation today, not the least of which is the love that folks have for Solar Energy International. So I actually thought I would start with a question around SEI. When was the first time you 
heard of this organization, Solar Energy International? Pretty much when the recruiters reached out to me. Do you mean the recruiters for the role? Correct. But you had never heard of SEI before you took the role? I had not. Oh my goodness. Do you ever feel a little, just a little awkward saying that? Like I'm the only one yeah, like, I hadn't heard of SEI in the solar industry? Yeah. Correct. <laughs> yes. I love that you're willing to be vulnerable and say that. It's the God's honest truth. And it's because I started out in a startup and we had years of trying to get that, you know, our product together. And so we were, we were not at the SEI stage yet, you know, so we were really crafting yeah. a new product. Yeah. Yet I'm certain that there were folks, I expect there were folks at some point in the organization who had been through SEI. I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit as we, as we continue down the, down the trail here. You know, I often like to go quite a bit further back than the job you have right now and think a bit about what informed the person that you've become, the profession or professions that you've pursued. You've had a really interesting and diverse career. How and when did you know what you wanted to do with your life from a professional sense? When I was 12. Wow. Very specific. (laughs) My father was in advertising and PR, and he would bring the most amazing people home to our dinner table. They could tell stories. They were interesting. And I said, that's what I want to do. Was it a regular occurrence that folks would, your father would entertain folks in the home as a part of, as a part of childhood? Absolutely. The dinner table at our house was the, the area where ideas got birthed. We discussed things, sports, politics, anything that was happening in the world at large. So, yeah. So your dad was a, an ad man. <laughs> was it, was the, the television show Mad Men very similar to what you remember of the kind of work that your dad was engaged in? Well, I didn't know a lot about his work at work yeah. because that was, you know, but I did, you know, because he invited people over, I got that glimpse of it, which is what was attractive right. to me. When I was in advertising, actually watching Mad Men was, it is very, it was really a spot on. Wow. And so I was, yes, yeah, it was spot on. I mean, every, I even know some of those stories from people who I came up with. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. The, those were stories that were actually created from people who I know. That is really, really cool. Well, you knew early on that you wanted to get into advertising. Did your father give you guidance on the next steps to take? And if so, what did that look like from an early career trajectory for you? Sort of map out for me how you took the steps to get into advertising and the career that led you into. My parents were very focused on education. So while no one said, I'm so glad you want to be in advertising, here's what you do next. I knew that the best thing I could do was get a good ad education in advertising. And so I immediately went to look for the top schools in in advertising and marketing. And I chose the University of Illinois because it was in my state. Ah, you grew up in Illinois. I was growing up. I grew up in Chicago. So going to the University of Illinois uh, for advertising uh, at a time where, certainly, as you said, it was the top school for advertising in the country. What did that prepare you for? And how did that idea of what you wanted to become, evolve as you got into the work world? What I loved about it was that it was giving me all the tools I needed. It was, I, I referenced it as a trade school almost because it was so specific to advertising. You know, you looked at account work, you looked at media, you looked at um, new products. They gave you tools to think about 
strategy from um from an advertising communications standpoint, and that was key. And then I went to later on. I I went to Northwestern at Kellogg um, for my MBA, and that finished that strategic look, and that helped really from a marketing standpoint. Um, that really helped solidify what it was that I you know my sole background. What would you say that you over the course of the last twenty plus years of a career have developed as core competencies springing from that? that early desire for advertising? I think one of my strong suits is strategies because I am constantly reading, constantly synthesizing, always thinking about how will this play out? How will this affect A, what I do, what the team does, what's happening, you know, in a broader landscape. And so that's the first and foremost, that's number one. Number two is it's the people. And so working to understand who I'm working with, number one, and, and how we work as a team in concert, and then who we're serving. Um, and that's those two pieces of the puzzle are, you know, about 80% of what we do. I love that. And it is uh, certainly in, to, you know, today's age, especially in the startup world, those two elements are the critical glue that defines the success of an organization. You're now working with an organization that's got well over, uh, you know, whatever, well over 10, I'm sure you know the number, uh, thousands of uh, graduates from the organization, thousands of people who've come through their doors in 25 plus years. Over 90,000. 90,000. Over 90,000. That is amazing. What's the, what's the, uh, what's the time in, in the near future where you expect to hit a hundred thousand and how are we going to celebrate that? Tomorrow. (laughs) Is it tomorrow? Really? (laughs) It better be. It better be. That is the thing. I mean, there's such an urgency here to make sure that we are reaching the most people we can in order to make sure that the industry is going as fast as possible. You know, I I feel the urgency every morning when I wake up. I mean, I always refer to climate change as the hell and high water because that's exactly what it is, right? And so every day that we're not training more people and getting them jobs, we're slowing it down. Yeah. You know, you are no stranger to taking on roles that attack a deep need in society. After your time in advertising, you spent a few years focused on global hunger. Can you tell me a bit about the transition away from an advertising role into the Hunger Project? Yes. Wow, that was <laughs> that was a struggle. I was doing really well in advertising. I was president of an advertising agency. And suddenly my body didn't want me to be in advertising anymore. I'd be on a plane, walking on a jetway, my feet and hands would get numb. I would be, I lost, I'm 5'2", I lost 15 pounds. You know, know, I'm under 100 pounds at that point. You know, I started getting dizzy, all these things. And so I, I went to my doctor and said, what is wrong with me? It's like, oh, I don't see anything wrong with you. That was my Western doctor. Then I found Eastern doctors and then got into exploring all kinds of modalities, you know, to just to find out what my next steps should be. And, you know, the the idea was to listen and to say yes to everything that came my way. And in in doing that, I basically had to, I, you know, I left advertising. I made sure that I was taking care of everyone before I left, but I left advertising and I started doing nonprofit work. And I started working for, uh, in Oakland, um, the food bank. 
And it was great because I would put the headphones on and I felt very connected to humanity. I was talking to people, I was connecting them with food and I loved it. But I realized I was talking to the same people again and again. So I, I didn't feel like I was helping to solve a greater problem. And so one day as, as I was going to this volunteer job, I heard on the radio this incredible model of sustainability and self-reliance. And it was talked about, you know, food security and education and access to capital and medical. It was, it was about bringing community together and about having people have the self-confidence and have the skills to raise themselves. It, it was women-focused. And I heard on the radio, and I talked to everybody that I met in the next three and a half weeks, like a mad woman. I heard this great thing. It's all this cool model. Da, da, da. And one of the people that I happened to talk to was a friend who had gone to Australia to run an advertising agency. And she just happened to start working pro bono for the Hunger Project. And that CEO in Australia said to her, I need a COO. Can you help me out? And she said, I have just the person for you. So I hopped on a plane the very next day. And three and a half weeks later, I was living and working in Australia. So there wasn't much of an unwinding period between advertising and nonprofit. I can tell you there was a lot of time with my uh, back end on the floor just listening to myself. Yeah, okay. But there wasn't much of a period between leaving Noble, Noble Advertising and going to Hunger Project, right? Uh, well, let's see. I went part-time for a while. So I, then I started. So I, there was kind of a transition of, I don't know. I see. I don't know. Maybe six months. I, I don't remember. Actually, it was, it was sort of fluky. It felt like a magic carpet ride to me. It just felt like one thing after another. So time didn't really, was, didn't enter into it as much as... Uh, understanding of where I should go and what I should do next. You know, I mentioned the the Surrender Project, which is a book that a lot of folks have read uh, who are on that journey of trying to, uh, which basically says say yes to everything. Was there anything in particular during that period of uncertainty? A lot of folks find themselves in periods of uncertainty. A lot of folks that find themselves coming to SEI are in fact in a period of uncertainty and they're looking for something to hold on to while they figure it out. May as well develop some core skill. Uh, For you, as you were thinking about that transition, was there anything that you held on to that really helped you get through that period? Other than the the time on the on your posterior, as you said, just really meditating on <laughs> on the ideas, and maybe maybe that's the answer too. And if so, was there any resource that you looked to that really guided you on on fundamentals there? Buddhist teaching, for the most part, Pema Chodron. I don't know if you know about her. She's mm-hmm. a Buddhist, um, an American Buddhist nun, um, and her teachings are sort of help people get through what Buddhism is. And so that she was very helpful. Carolyn Mace was very helpful. So all those spiritual people who I hadn't really paid any attention to whatsoever, because I was, you know, I was focused on my work. I was going to, I'm getting it done. You know, everything was going well. So I, I didn't really reach out and, and read those people or listen to those people until that, until I was just in this semi-crisis. I mean, that's what it felt like to my body. And so that's, yeah. Sounds like you've also become very adept at leaning in and the value of your network. Talk about the importance of the folks around you in terms of taking the right guide points, taking the right versus the left at the fork in the road and how that's helped you in the progression of your career. 
I do believe that you meet the right people um, along your journey. And I tend to, I still have my best friends from grade school. I tend to stay in touch with people. So talking to those people opens up whatever possibility there is. I don't know why that is. I don't know how that is. But if I talk to them, ideas come to me and possibilities open up. And a lot of the people I know now in business are very connected and they're connectors. And so they do have true opportunities and possibilities. And I, and I would, you know, that's, I think if I were talking to anyone looking for a job, it's just talk to people and tell them, be vulnerable, tell them what you're looking for, have them talk about what they do so that you can make that transition and, and think about it for yourself and listen to what they say. And that's the most important thing is listening. You know, you've had the, the privilege, I think in the grand scheme of things, a lot of folks don't necessarily find themselves in the position, either from a visibility perspective or a skills perspective to be recruited, to actively be recruited. You've been recruited to a couple of transitions. We'll talk about the first in a moment. I'm curious though, as we kind of get into the, the transition that brought you to the clean energy sector, when you think about the recruiters reaching out to you and the roles that you've been hired to, to execute on, what is the core skill or what are the core skills perhaps that they were solving for when they saw your profile? I think in the first transition away from the Hunger Project into the startup, uh, Sunflare, the startup, they were looking for someone who could build a business who knew marketing enough to be able to basically take a company from zero. So there was no website. There weren't any pictures. In the beginning, there weren't, wasn't even product. So it's someone who can take something from absolute zero to going to market. And so they were looking for that skill. And because I, I have had, you know, both advertising and manufacturing jobs, I knew what to look for and how to, you know, and of course it wasn't always all me. Obviously, again, it's about listening to others and what, what it takes. So, but I had, because I'm a Gemini, I get to be two people, right? So I get to be the creative person and I get to be the strategy person all at once, right? And so those have served me well. You know, I often ask, tell me about your first exposure to the solar energy industry and how you kind of knew that this is where you were going to take the next step in your career. I was so into ending world hunger and, and I was, I was so focused on that. And someone said to me at a party, well, we're not going to have to worry about starvation uh, because we're going to all burn up because, you know, we've got this energy situation here and, you know, the climate crisis is looming. And so you don't have to worry about food supply. And so, you know, I put that in the back, again, you, you listen, I put that in the back of my head and, and I, I try things out like, is that true? And then I start reading around it to say, wow, because I didn't really have that much focus on, on climate change at that point. And then, you know, I, again, I started to talk to people about it and somebody, one of my really good friends was working for the owner of this, of the company and we got together and chatted and, you know, then I was the number one employee. This is also the benefit, <laughs> by the way, of living in the Bay Area. You can casually dine or have coffee with a founder that is going to start the next great solar company. That's exactly it's right. tremendous. The number of folks I know who 
who I've interviewed on the show that on a whim, more than a whim, really on a hunch, on a pure instinct, they moved to California broadly, but the Bay Area specifically, mm-hmm. because they knew that they get, there would, there would always be that opportunity that someone would say, why don't you come down to the office or can we meet up for coffee? And it's hard to do that from, from Chicago. So uh, remarkable. Although I have to say, I've worked for airlines before as well. So I'm a big proponent on getting on a plane. Yeah. If someone says, hey, I'd like to have coffee. And that's the thing that you think you're, you want to know about. That's right. You get on that plane, right? And you just do it because life is short. You know, that's right? great career advice too, because so many people do, they'll wait. And we've talked to these people. They'll be like, I had a client. She refused to start interviewing for jobs because she was still working for a bank in New York. If she's listening, she'll know exactly I'm talking about her. <laughs> and she says, I am only going to interview for jobs in Denver because that's where I want to live. And I'm going to wait until I move to Denver to start those, that process. And I said, oh my gosh, you should just start talking to everybody as though you live in Denver. Go ahead and get a phone number from Denver and like get a Google voice number and tell people that you're available. And if they say, can you meet for lunch tomorrow? Say, sorry, I'm really booked out until next week. Can we meet next Friday? Right? Just like find the day that your flight's going to arrive. I've done it, Elizabeth. I've totally done that where it's like, you know what? Here's, here's another little hack, Elizabeth, that I know you'll appreciate. <laughs> I've said to folks where I had an idea, like a sort of hunch. Like I think I might want to go to uh, New York or name your city, maybe San Antonio. I'll call someone uh, who... I'm trying to do a deal with, or I'm prospecting. Most of the time when I was back in manufacturing, I would call someone that I knew I needed to work with, like in Phoenix, we'll just use Phoenix. And, and they would say, you know, when are you next in Phoenix? And I would say, next Wednesday, are you available? And if they said <laughs> yes, I would book the flight. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I just believe in that. My father, you know, gave me great advice saying, you need to invest in yourself. Mm. Well, investing in yourself is paying for a ticket to get on a plane to go find the next thing that's for you. You know, it's pulling that thread that will allow you to move on and, you know, get where you want to go. Or if, if nothing else, just have a great conversation with someone. I agree with your father, invest in yourself. I say, I say this to you folks all the time. No surprise coming from someone who spends his entire career networking and helping folks <laughs> engage in self, you know, personal development. I think personal development is, is, a, is a massive need for most folks. You were pseudo recruited into Sunflare. You were brought in as the number one employee. Did you have any context about the solar industry really before that? No. Okay. To the extent possible, what are the things that you feel like you remember doing that are still relevant today for folks that are coming from outside the industry that want to get a foothold on what it might be like to work at a solar company and how to kind of get up to speed quickly? Yeah, basically it is about reading everything you can. So going mm-hmm. and, you know, finding a thread and just following it and following it to the next one and the next one and the next one. It's, that is the basis for for discovery now. And thank God we had that, you know, back in the day that wasn't available, right? But that's really it. Are there any specific resources that you remember? So I think it is good advice that you gave of like, keep digging in that tunnel. But to the extent that maybe there was an author or even a website or an organization that were particularly useful in helping you come up to speed, what were they? So in the digging, what you find are those gems. So Green Tech Media was my go-to. They were the smart, they're not dead, but they were the smartest people. They took everything into account and they gave me such a great basis 
to understand what was happening in policy, in the market, uh, in, in technology. They were absolutely, when I found them, you know, I was like, I am so happy. Yeah. That's a sore spot in the industry that Green Tech Media was, uh, was closed down. Um, thankfully, many of the Green Tech uh, alum have moved over to Canary Media. And a, a lot of folks similarly, I know today, cite Canary as a place that they go for resources, um, much like the organization that is that is caring for Canary, RMI, has served as a, a beacon of, uh, of information, right? Just a storehouse, a wealth of knowledge about what's happening in the broader energy transition and the verticals that are attacking it from solar to energy storage to electric, et cetera. Absolutely. And now com- Canary is definitely one of my go-tos. Mm, yeah. In uh, those early days at Sunflare, what did you see for, as an outsider and as an ad or marketing mindset? What did you see that the industry was missing and perhaps still is? Well, in my particular case, the Sunflare was a light, thin, flexible CIGS module. So in my particular case, what I was looking at is how does this particular technology fit into the broader technology. So crystalline is very heavy, right? But this extended the category to users who couldn't take the weight of big, heavy panels, right? And so that's that's what I loved about it, is that we're, we're now broadening it, the industry, we're broadening the technology. So people who you know, want to be off grid in their RV actually can, you know, just, you know, people who have, you know, corrugated roofs in third world countries can now have solar on them without worrying about it whatsoever, you know? So that's what I was looking at is how does this technology fit into the broader industry? It seems like you've spent a lot of time in your various uh, roles, including this one, thinking around building organizations, number one employee at Sunflare, right? You're implicitly a part of the core team that has to think about how to build out the activity of the company and how to structure it and prioritize it. What are the core skills or activities of that organization building exercise? To view it as a puzzle, you know, it's, I, you know, I, I don't have a gambling problem or anything, but I do like to win, right? I like the idea that I get to place chips on different answers to questions. And so the first thing you do is look at the industry and the users and find out where the differences are. You know, what, what holes are there? What can this thing fix, right? And then you're basically building with what you have and then looking to see what you don't have. So if you don't have people to do this, this, and this, you go out and you find those people that match with what you need to do. And by the way, at whatever level that you are. So if you do have funds, that's great. If you don't have funds, that's another, that's another way you have to look at it. So you have to get more creative when you don't have, you know, gazillions of dollars just as a startup, right? Did you guys go through as well? I mean, you're a manufacturing startup. Were you early enough in the organization that you had not raised money yet and you had to go through the various sort of machinations of that, that creativity of staffing up even with external resources? Absolutely. So when I got there, there was, there was some funds, but we had to go get more. And it was a, a Chinese, Swedish, American company, basically. 
and most of the money was coming from China. So, which is something I'd like to make a comment about here at some point in this, because China built an office building for us in three months and gave it to us. You know, China gave us $50 million when they heard the way we were going to position the company, right? China, when they want to invest something, they do it, right? And they do it well, and they now own the solar industry supply chain, right? And that's, I think, a lesson that I would like the U.S. government to take. Obviously, everybody's looking at it now. Timely advice. You know, in your current role, it's not something that uh, I expect you need to hypothesize or theorize on much, but certainly in your previous role, everyone sort of acknowledged and recognized. And when I was at Trina, uh, at Trina Solar in 2013, 2014 timeframe, it was sort of a foregone conclusion. Well, we not only won't ever have domestic manufacturing, but there's no need for it. And it's a poor, uh, it's a poor fit from as, as someone who, as you expressed, spent a lot of time working on manufacturing as a joint venture where you had facilities in both uh, or all three countries. What are your thoughts on the current sort of state of affairs with regards to the the trade barriers that are being put in place that, and how and how you think the the administration or even the industry, our industry's leadership ought to be thinking about and advocating? Absolutely. Obviously, the war in Ukraine is a tragedy. It's just it's it's just horrific, as you know. And it's illuminating for the U.S. and Europe that basically says, you thought you were energy independent? Well, look now, right? So that's a beautiful lesson that we need to heed to say, okay, we had a polysilicon in the very beginning and we let it go, right? Because it could be made cheaper somewhere else. But now we have to look at this again and say, okay, and I'm not... By any means, I'm not a nationalist, never have been. You know, I am a, a person of the world. But it, when it comes down to now everybody's seeing that, yeah, you know, energy dependence is a national security risk. And so we do in America need to actually get back on the supply chain and it's going to be more expensive. And that's part of where the government comes in. And, uh, you know, we all as, as SEI, we're ready to train people, right? We're ready to, to get on board. And that's why we have expanded to the, to the extent that we have, because we're ready to be partners with the people who need to train in order to get the supply chain people working, right? So that it is in North America, it is in Central America and South America, so that we have access to the supply chain and, and can't be put out of business can't be dominated. You know, I hate the idea that energy can be used as a tool for war, a tool for domination. You know, I look at solar energy, I, to me, it's the energy of love, right? It's like so cool that you can take the sun and make power. It's like, how amazing is that, right? I love that idea. At a certain point in startup life, in the process of continuing down the path of who do I want to be when I grow up? Everyone starts to look around and say, hmm, what might be on the horizon? Uh, for you, the, the, the period of the pandemic certainly held a lot, of, a lot of promise, a lot of thoughtfulness as everyone naturally in the industry and most, mostly in manufacturing began to think, this is what I want to be doing. What was the process for you 
Or take me back to the day when the recruiter called and said, hey, have you heard of this company, Solar Energy International? For me, I was really focused on during the pandemic because no one could, could travel to China, right, where our manufacturing mostly was. And so we were suddenly at a standstill. You know, we had been making great strides in efficiency, you know, and, and things were really going well from product development standpoint. And then suddenly it had to stop, you know, because it, it takes a lot uh, from a, on a daily basis in manufacturing to get it done well, right? And so, and we were going back and forth between America and China to make it happen. And so, suddenly that was at a standstill. So I had to look and say, okay, how do I keep this going with the team as we're in this situation. And when, you know, I loved the job, I, you know, again, it was, I get, I was betting, I got to, to sort of figure out a puzzle. Right. But once, when the recruiters came to me, they said, you know, here's, here's a, a way that you can actually have a bigger impact on the industry. And this, you know, obviously training and placement is the very foundation of the solar energy industry. Right. And so I, I, I took that and said, yeah, I, I think I, and I don't have an education background, you know, so there was one part of the, the puzzle that I was missing there in terms of knowing how educational institutions make things happen. But what I did have is change management. I had marketing, I, you know, I had some solar at that point. I had been in solar for six years. You know, I had pieces, I had nonprofit work, I had fundraising. So I had a lot of pieces there because I had just followed the next thing in many ways over those years. You know, I think I, I want to just highlight what you just outlined. For me, it is a telltale sign of someone who is in tune with being a good communicator, understands where they are in their career in the, and in the greater scheme by being able to enunciate the things you did. I'll just repeat them. I want to ponder on this for a minute. For you showing up at Solar Energy International, represents an opportunity to bring marketing, change management, nonprofit organization and fundraising background to the table for an organization that itself fundamentally gets how the solar industry works, but has to grow, has to evolve into the next phase. 25 years the organization's been around. Why don't we take a moment? 30. 30, 30 years. Why do I keep saying 25? Why don't we take a moment <laughs> then for you, the executive director of the organization to help folks understand what is it that Solar Energy International, we usually in the industry refer to it as SEI. What is it that SEI represents for the industry? What is the elevator pitch that you give at a party so many times, I'm sure, over the holidays as you had to explain where, what it was you were getting ready to go do? What I love about SEI is that it is a world-class solar plus storage education and training organization. You know, it's a nonprofit that has been around for 30 years, right? That in and of itself gets the conversation started. What I love about SEI is that the people who have been there, you know, Johnny and I talk, Johnny Weiss and I talk regularly, right? Because what I'm tasked with is expanding the organization, but keeping its soul, keeping its culture. And that's no... <laughs> That's no small task, right? So it's really incumbent upon me to make sure that we bring the history forward with us and keep that close to us. And so 
to me, having a relationship with Johnny is great because he, you know, he will be the one to say, you know, we were just a couple of teachers and we loved solar. And at that point, at that point, it was solar thermal, right? You know, and right. It wasn't PV and we wanted to teach. And just knowing that as the origin of SEI, who they were, gave me so much power and knowledge in terms of, okay, how do we keep that going forward? Let's not mess that up, right? You know, it's surprising when I hear someone say they've gone to Paonia ever at all. But the number of folks that I met from outside of the United States who took time off of their full-time job or who were sent by their their CEOs in Chile or Europe or Africa to little Paonia, Colorado to learn the fundamentals of solar. With the resources that we have in 2020, 2021 online, folks still would go out of their way to go to this mecca of solar education. The um, I, I do want to say, because I'm sure he's going to listen in on this conversation at some point. Johnny Weiss, you have not gotten out of getting an interview on Suncast for what it's worth. <laughs> Thank you for the introduction to Elizabeth. And we are definitely glad that this conversation is happening, but you are still on the docket, my friend. Wouldn't it be great if Johnny gets on the show, we could hear some of his stories about how SEI was fu- founded. Absolutely. I'll make him come on. We, there you we go. Can, we'll go on together and then I'll just creep I off love it. And then the you, distance. Then you can sort of Homer Simpson back into the hedgerow and it'll just be me and Johnny exactly. sitting there. That's great. You know what I think oh, wait, Johnny now is he waiting. knows our plan. I think Johnny's <laughs> waiting for me to fly out to Paonia and interview him in person. <laughs> you should. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, we should definitely talk about that. Uh, my buddy, my buddy and uh, one of your, uh, one of your core team members, Matthew Harris, has, uh, who now lives in Denver, of course, but has often said, dude, you got to get out here. This place is amazing. Absolutely. And it it gets, this gets at the heart of something that I see generally in the industry as a true love for an organization. What do you think gets at the, at the heart of that? The love that people have for SEI? I do think it comes from knowing their roots. It comes from the idea that they love the technology. They love to teach. They love the earth. I mean, all those things they they love talking to people and 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 imparting that knowledge. I mean, they it's a pure and simple love of teaching and of the technology, right? So, and they just they don't judge people. You know, there are, we kind of, we have people from all walks of life, from all energy sectors. You know, from non energy sector. We the people who come to us are so varied, and there's no judgment there's it's just like oh we're so glad you're here let's talk about solar you know let's do storage let's let's really get into it and you know that's what it's about is that pure passion you know and the you know there's a book that i like it's called grid and it's about the the power of passion and perseverance right and that's exactly what sei is it's basically that passion for the the topic the perseverance to go through you know good times and bad right different administrations, et cetera, right? And still come out being that solid foundation for the industry. You mentioned earlier the importance of culture. It's something that I wanted to ask you about because early in an organization, you're, you're in an organization now with 30 years of history. Most of where you've spent your time is the startup culture. Of course, you know, Noble 
all the way back to the beginning of your career, you had to think about culture. You were the president of a company. Help me understand just from the fundamentals perspective, uh, if I'm trying to think about culture in my organization, what are the things that I need to take into consideration? And then I have a few questions specific to SEI. I think the number one thing to remember is everybody wants to be loved, right? And they want to do a good job. And so looking at those two things, trying to work with people to find out where they fit in best, you know, and making sure that their skills and their passions are being fed is really important. And to me, that's the crux of it. The skills can be taught, but it's finding the, the, the place where they fit best. And when they don't fit, you know, I've had to fire people and they come back to me and they thank me because you're firing them knowing that they, they belong somewhere else and having, you know, and I'm, I, I always offer to have conversations on an ongoing basis with them to help them find that spot. If it's not with us, where is it? Because I think it's so important that you have people who can help you talk things through. Once a culture begins to coalesce, how do you communicate that culture and the values that, 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 that really create the fabric of that culture in an organization? How do you instill that into the organization? It is talking about why we're doing things, where, when we're not doing things, pointing back to what we are and how we became that way and making sure that we're talking about ways to, to get back on it if we've lost it or to, to punch it up if we're, we're lagging, you know, but it's, it's always at the core of who we are and what we're doing, always remembering that purpose. I think that's really important. And, you know, it's hard because this industry changes every single day. And so we need to be in the forefront of it, right? So we need to be agile and, you know, make. how does a 30-year-old company, you know, stay agile? That's at the crux of what we're doing here is making sure that, and in our case, it is about cooperation and partnership because we've done, we've been very self-reliant in our, in building this organization. And now is the time when we have to, to increase the number of an workforce by, you know, a million. Uh, you, there's so many numbers out there, but one, one, one number I saw is in order to make the, the goal by 2030, Biden's goal for the U.S. energy to be 40% solar, we need a million five workers. Right now we have 230,000, right? So the magnitude of the people we need to train is huge, right? And so what we're looking at, at now is expanding our organization to be able to, to make that happen. And who better than, than us and, and our partners who have yet to be our partners? Some of them, you know, we're tapping each other on the shoulder saying, hey, I've got this, what do you have, right? And I call it zippering our talents together. So it's not about competition anymore. It's really about cooperation. It's like, what do you do well? Okay, we've got this. Let's do it together. Give me an example there, specifically mm -hmm. that folks in the industry might understand. Uh, is that like right. how you partner with other education organizations? If so, give me, I'd love a concrete example. Yeah, there's so, you know, people think, and, you know, I was raised in marketing. So I, you know, I, I think, competitors too. But now it's a, it's a time when, you know, you really have to look at what you do well and what somebody else does well. So we're looking at experts both inside and outside of, our, of you know, SEI to make sure that we're 
updating classes faster, that we're bringing in new technology. So for instance, talking to a person who runs a, t- a testing center that is key to building software. Well, we, d- we don't have an expert on that, but somebody we know is you know, doing that every single day. So let's partner with that person in order to make sure that we have the best and the newest and the brightest working together at SEI to impart that knowledge and then making sure that, you know, it works out for everyone. Kind of a last, a last thought here on, on culture as we, uh, as we segue, I don't know, have, I don't know, have you read the book Culture Code by Dan Coyle? I have not, should I? Yeah, I'll tell you why. And if for no other reason than the example I'll give you, not from the book, but from why I read it. When I interviewed Chris Voss, who any regular listener to Suncast will know is one of my favorite authors and his book, Never Split the Difference, should be mandatory reading in every company. Uh, the only book face out on his bookshelf behind him was Culture Code by Dan Coyle. So, you know, I talked about it because I'm curious. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm observant in that way. And uh, he gave some really good examples. Anybody wants to listen to episode 101 that I did with Chris Voss, that's where you can listen to what his examples were. I don't want to bog us down here, but that book is a manuscript for anyone who is really thinking, especially in early stage, but across any type of organization about how to manage culture. And uh, I just think everyone should read it, especially founders and especially, I would suggest even especially executive directors of organizations um, of all sizes. So, you know, you're tasked with keeping that culture as part of your mandate, um, yet to expand the organization, the culture necessarily has to evolve there's a culture that we've discussed about just a love for an affinity for SEI that none of us want to see as a past tense reference. You know, the, all the good old days of SEI. I don't, I don't think that we're anywhere close to that right now, but as a marketer, how do you leverage this love for what SEI has been? It's a thing that we all readily acknowledge can't be bought. How do you leverage that to grow the company without diluting or destroying the, the sort of that affinity? Again, that's about partnership and training the trainers. So bringing people in and sharing our knowledge of 30 years to help make them the best trainers they can be. So and we're, we're actually making sure that we have the ability to, to train others well and offer that service to people so that they can understand the SEI way. It's, it's basically, you know, how, to, how do we get to more people? right? More, more diverse people, right? People who haven't had the benefit that I had, which is great education. You know, I had parents who really valued education. Not everyone has that. Not everybody has the ability to do that. So that's really important that we make sure that we can reach out to all, everyone, and also reach out in a way that allows them to learn well. So hands-on training, not everyone's going to get to Paonia, right? So how do we give hands-on training, you know, worldwide? You know, that's one of the puzzles we're solving now, right? Is how do we do that in the SEI way so that we know people are getting great knowledge. They're learning how to do it well through hands-on experience and they're being tested so that they can retain it. And then we're, we're basically making sure that we'll be with them if they have to ask us questions and in, in the future. And that's one thing that I think with a lot of our students is that they know we're family. They know when they go to their next job, we'll be there for them. 
for advice, for education, for questions. It's really just a, a large family. And they know that they can rely on us because we're interested in them. Hey, solar project owners and developers are infrequent field checks in your operations and maintenance plan and oversight. Do you need proper insight? Well, let data drive your maintenance. Our friends over at 60 Hertz are in the cloud so that you spend less time on the ground and their app is a snap. 60 Hertz in your pocket will help bring solar to the socket. You can learn more about how 60 Hertz can help your operations and maintenance plan at mysuncast.com forward slash 60HERTZ. That's 60 Hertz. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. The pandemic changed many things. The thing that it accelerated faster than anyone would have expected or, or even been able to grasp is online learning. So many organizations were less prepared than SEI to pivot to online learning. In fact, SEI had been doing online learning uh, as an extension, but really sort of a superficial kind of like, here's how you can get your feet wet and then you have to actually come in. We can show you how to turn the wrenches. How did online learning at SEI evolve over the last two years and where do you see that type of collaboration going? And I guess a third piece to that, not only how did it evolve, where is it going, but what technical limitations still exist for the kinds of training that SEI is known for? I don't know that there are any real technical barriers because we do so many different kinds of trainings online. Uh, we, we use video, we use standard you know, teaching methods we're looking at using uh, more enhanced methods, but I don't think there's any barriers per se. It's really making sure that the types of classes are out there. So the subject matters is there, right? So that we have enough of what's going on for the future, that there are classes for everyone. And I think that's one of the things that we're looking at now is how do we broaden out the types of classes we have so that we have physical classes, of course, for installers, et cetera. We also have non-physical classes, right? So it's about solar financing and it's about management and sales and, and design, you know. So I think that's what we're looking at now is how do, make, how do we make sure that we have really good classes for all of those aspects? Nonprofit is a lot different than for-profit. You've been in both worlds. You and I discussed how coming from a corporate culture where decisions are made quickly to a consensus-based organization carries itself a lot of a lot of differences. I'll call them differences. I don't want to call, put any labels on them, but I do want to understand for you, how does a consensus-based organization affect your ability to hit your mandate and evolve the organization? Yeah, it's definitely been a learning experience for me because it's so much easier to to say, okay, you do this and you do this, you do this, right? I mean, of course, you never really do that, but it's 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 faster to be able to just have a few people to talk to and then, you know, just everyone goes and does it, right? This is interesting because we're a flatter organization 
and because everybody has so much knowledge and experience, expertise in different areas, coming together to make decisions, it takes, it does take longer. There's no doubt about it. And believe me, I have made mistakes where I started like saying, okay, we should do this. And everybody's like, whoa, Nelly, <laughs> you know, hey, you know, and so I had to back up and say, right, let's talk about what you're thinking here. You know, so it's been, and I don't have the patience of Job. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's been a learning experience in that regard as well. Um, and I, I hope by next year, I'm really, really good at it. <laughs> Is there an example that you could give of where that consensus-based model uh, has surprised you in its effectiveness? And Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because the people who work with me, you know, our team, they're really good and they know the industry extremely well and they know themselves and they know how they can get things done, Right. So when I'm, I'm bringing in new ideas and then what we have to discuss is, okay, this is a new idea. How, how do we, we, this team do this, right? And so it's, then they go, you know, and then it's like, we sort of brainstorm together. Well, we could do it this way or this way. I don't, and I don't mean to boil this down for those who maybe think I'm too action oriented here, but I really do think it from a decision, like decision-making is one of the most critical skills that anyone can learn. And it's one of the most, it's one of the most difficult things to get to get consensus around and to get really instituted into the culture of a business. But it sounds to me like a simple modification in the way that you think about it. And if not think it, at least the way you language it is instead of we should do X is how do we do X? And also, should we do this? And if so, so it's even beginning at that because it's usually I'm always looking, looking, looking for the next opportunity. When I spot it, you know, I go press the button. Well, now it's, I've spotted this opportunity. What do you guys think, right? What, what does this team think about that opportunity? And then we go through that. And that's not always like, oh yeah, we love it. It's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, no or whatever. And then we have to go through that. And some of those ideas get, you know, put on the pile and then some of them get worked on. It's like, okay, then how do we do that? And, you know, being a nonprofit, you know, you have to have some skills there in, in order to make a lot of things happen with less money, right? And so that's part of the what that we work with. It's like, okay, how do we make that happen with XYZ dollars, right? So those all-stars who have contributed, you know, I think Matt Harris has been there for 15 years, which is an amazing heritage to leave for any one person in any organization. Exactly. And, and it's the kind of muscle memory that you get to leverage and you get to build upon when you think about what SEI is known for, 30 years of being, I would argue, the best global solar practice training organization, right? Like when you want to know how to turn the wrench, how to connect tab A to slot B, how to grow in especially the workforce development side of our industry. I don't think there's anybody that does it better. There may be other people who do it well. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what I would say people love about the family feel because SEI has done it without bragging. They've done it without um, posturing, without a big marketing budget, a lot of boots on the ground, very literally. If we think about the next 30 years, what does SEI want to be known for? I think it is staying that course, being that family. I think there's a need for that family more so than there has been in, in the past even because there are a lot of disenfranchised people out there 
and we can be the family for them. So I think it's critical from that standpoint that we stay in that family orientation and and stay the course there. And then, you know, we can use technology a lot better than we are. And that's one of the things that we're looking at is how do we get, you know, all the tools working for us, you know, and how do we get people who, how do we turn people on to give us the money to make those, those tools come to our, come through our front door, right? So, but, so that's what we're working on it. And, you know, we will have to be, you know, tripling the number of people we've trained in the next nine years, you know, so we, we really have to, we're basically, we took 30 years to train 80,000 people and we get about nine years to train twice that many, you know, or three times that many. So it's just, it's a big, it's a big ask, right. Of our team. Stay the course as the family that trains the solar industry and puts more people to work. Uh, I look forward to learning more about how SEI envisions leading from a technology perspective. I think that given the amount of in-person training SEI has done historically, a lot of folks have missed the, the real evolution that SEI has been through and the hard work I've seen in the background of moving to um, online. With that in mind, I'm curious, what are folks now coming to SEI for? What are people seeking? And I'd love to know from the perspective, what's the bestseller for, for SEI right now? Uh, the best sellers is always our PV 101 class because it is basics and all roads lead through 101. And so that, and we do such a great job of teaching the theory and, and the, and what you need to know in order to connect one to the other. Right. And so that's always the one, the leader in the clubhouse. What's up and coming. What do you think is going to challenge the PV 101 in terms of certainly what you see from a data and marketing perspective that people are asking to, to learn? Because there's storage, which is not new, right? But the software that has to deal with the storage and, and the energy management at a household level, electrification of everything, I mean, all those things enter in to what we have to be teaching in the future, right? So we will be teaching and we'll find the best experts that know those well, um, they'll become our partners and we will be able to offer those classes. What we're very clear about is we don't want to be sort of trendy, but we definitely need to make sure that we are leading the industry with proven technology that we know is going to take them through their career. So, and we have to stay ahead of their careers. So we have to, we have to make sure that we're, we're finding the, the core technologies what that is going to lead to next and next and next. Yeah. Well, anyone eavesdropping on this conversation would want me to ask, when will I be able to just pull on my VR goggles and sit in my living room <laughs> while, while still getting that hands-on experience? We're, we're looking at VR. We're looking at all technologies. We have to, you know, we, from a curriculum standpoint, we know that people learn different ways and that's one of the things that we're looking at. So th that's in the future. I won't give a, a time, a date, or <laughs> when, when we can talk about it uh, online here, but uh, it is definitely something that we're looking at. With regards to, you know, you're relatively early into what we expect to be a long tenure at SEI. In those early days, what most surprised you about the organization? I was incredibly surprised when I went to my first NAPSEP conference how much people loved SEI. 
So going out into the world, into the solar world, people coming up to me and saying, Essie, I changed my life. I've worked for many, many brands of all sizes, some incredibly integrated into the fabric of America, if not the world. And there are very few companies that have that kind of love, you know, and from a marketing standpoint, I look at that and and I know that I better not screw that up, right? That this is, that's, you know, that is gold. That is who we are and what we do. And that's, that's nirvana for a brand, right? In the industry or even outside of the industry, who do you, who inspires you? Who do you take insight from? So in the industry, uh, because I'm sort of young in the policy area, um, I, I just joined the S, the SIA board. Um, so I'm getting to know a lot more people. One of my favorite people is Erica Simmons, who is now VP um, of Equity and Workforce Development at SIA. If you haven't had her on yet, I would strongly encourage you to. You know, I haven't had her on yet in her current role. Yes. I had her on for our career summit back yes. in 2020 at a t- when she was at Grid. And I would second that Erica is, and she's a force. And yes. she is so brilliant. Definitely a rock star. Uh, Dana Claire Redden, another mm. hero of mine. We just recently you've had, had Dana on. on the show, yeah. That was a great interview, by the way. Thank you. Mary Powell, who I haven't met yet, but he's on my list to contact because she's done so amazing with Sunrun. Mary, you're on alert. I know she's listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm knocking at your door. <laughs> and, and then outside I the just, industry. Oh, go ahead. Keep well, okay, going. One, more, one more inside the industry because I just met this, uh, I was going to say kick-ass, but I probably can't say that on your you show. You can right? say it. <laughs> Leave it in. Kick-ass woman running Simplify Power, right? Catherine Von Catherine Berg. Von Berg, right? So I just met her. She just spoke for at our lunch or breakfast, I guess it was, um, mm. at Naps Up this year. And she she was she's just amazing, very inspirational. Yeah. By the time your episode airs, her second time being on the show will have aired. And I agree nice. with you. She is a true kick-ass. Like, talk about you want to talk about leadership. This lady took a company that was less than twenty million in revenue to more than three hundred million in revenue before it sold to Briggs and Stratton. She has. She is a force to be reckoned with. She is. And she's, you know, her booth was next to ours at NABSEP and they were trying to pull a carpet. And I said, hey, can we help you? I've got some guys here saying guys in the Midwestern sense. Like I got people here, right? She says, guys, we don't need guys. I'm like, oh. That's awesome. She's also a tall drink of water. She's like six, four. She is, (laughs) right. And I'm I'm five, two. It's like, hi. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, she's awesome. You can definitely see Catherine coming and she really does. She holds her, holds that presence very well. I'm curious, it, there are so many more. It's unfair for us to even name a few uh, inside the industry, but is there anyone that you feel like you do learn from outside the industry that stands as a sort of a beacon for you and gives you hope and aspiration? You know who I miss? I miss Barack Obama. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> and and so, you know, I, I I recommend people listen to his book, The Promised Land, because it's like having him, like I usually listen to it when I'm in bed. So I, I don't want to say it's like having him in bed with you, but it's like having him, you know, in the room with you 
because he, he's such a great writer, number one, and he's a great orator. And those two things come together in that book. So I like that because it gives me hope because of his intellect and his passion. And he grounds me. So I would say, you know, um, I would say, and he's just cool, right? I mean, I don't know if you've seen the book his Shade, where it's photographs of him. Yeah, it's 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 basically it's great. So I'll I'll send that to you as a gift. Oh, thank you. That's <laughs> yeah, really sweet. because it's just cool. I yeah. don't know if you like Barack Obama, but that's I'll send it to you anyway. <laughs> I do. I'm uh, I'm a big fan. As we as we round the corner here to to wrap up, you know, you're leading an organization that is training the workforce of tomorrow, the workforce of today. There's probably more than a few who would love to pick your brain on what should I do with my career? Uh, I get asked that question all the time. Well, what jobs are out there, et cetera? Through your lens of SEI, you have the rare privilege of seeing what jobs are out there. What would your answer be to someone who's saying, how do I, how do I get a handle on where I am best, uh, best, the best fit in this solar and energy transition movement? Yeah, I would say talk to someone, anyone. And by the way, you can call us and talk to us about that because we can say, what do you like to do? You know, where, where do you want to go? You know, what are your skill sets? Um, what don't you like to do? You know, how, how do you best learn? So we go through all of that with people who call just to get them to make sure that they're in the right place and learning the, in the best way they can. You know, do you need a scholarship? I mean, that's part of what we do, you know, to make sure that we are reaching out to everyone, right? So yeah, absolutely. You've mentioned a ton of great resources uh, that are the extension of deep wisdom and thought that have been written down for the ages now in the form of books. And we'll capture all of the ones that that you've referenced. I, I kind of go through diligently making notes and marks in my notes for my team to grab those book links so folks can find them on our uh, on our show notes page. But I'd love to know if there might be another one or two resources like that, that you might drop here for folks that have been instructive for you. Are there any particular books that you, you know, you kindly said that you will gift me that book by Barack. Is there a book that you've gifted a ton and, and why? Um, well, I think the, the, to be 100% perfectly honest, the book I've given the most is any, uh, Pema Chodron has many books out. And when I'm, you know, like losing my mind, I go and I reread it. I'll reread pages and get get, uh, get centered again. And I give that out to people who are looking, who are searching, who are failing and, and losing their way. So I give that out. And there are a few of them that I give out, but it's Pema Chodron. And, uh, yeah, I, I see there's how to meditate and when things fall apart. Do you basically look to see where they're at before you make a recommendation? I do. I got it. Is I there do. one that stands out for you as kind of, the go-to, like this is probably going to help everybody. Things that scare you. Do, is, do you see a title there? I don't, but is there one called Things That Scare You? Yeah, I think I can't remember the the full title because, uh, but it's- The Places uh, That Scare You. Place Is it Places? Oh, yeah. It, it, uh, in the metaphorical sense. Yeah. Mm, That's it's a guide to it's, fearless. Oh my gosh, this is great. I feel like this is perfect timing. Um, <laughs> Yay, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> I just got chills. <laughs> Literally. Uh, so I'm going to read this for folks that all understand. Please. Everybody who's been in 
my sphere of influence for the last three months of how fast Suncast is growing. We appreciate this. Yeah. It's called The Places That Scare You, A Guide to Fearlessness in Difficult Times. I've gotten pretty good over the years at talking like I'm not looking at a page with tears in my eyes. (laughs) So thankfully we don't publish too many video episodes here, but that is a great recommendation. We did it. We made that connection that's going to do something, right? That that's that's yeah. the thread you're going to pull next. Isn't that cool? That's how it this is. works. And, <laughs> yeah, and the cool thing about it is that you know, through Suncast you've just had a tremendous impact on not just my life, but countless hundreds probably thousands of people who over the course of the next 3-5 years will listen to this episode and somewhere in there is magic that will impact them and that's that's why we do this. It is. I would love to know, I want to make sure I make a note of this here. I'm literally, I have tears running down my face. You guys can't see this, but Elizabeth is watching me like deeply touched by this recommendation. Yay. We made it happen. Yeah. We used to edit stuff like this out. (laughs) Uh, Not anymore. Yeah. Um, How has your morning or evening, or perhaps just grounding routine evolved? What is it that Mm -hmm. you on a daily basis return to? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have this thing where routine makes me anxious. (laughs) 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 So I don't do the same thing every morning at all. I don't like brush my teeth and do this and then do this. I don't, I, every morning is a new morning. And, and I, because actually routines make me anxious. It makes me feel like I'm in a, some sort of a rut. Yeah. Wow. Is there anything that you do, routine or not, that you come back to as a practice? Yeah, I do meditate, and I do read those who meditate and who are somewhat um, mystical and searching. So I do that on a regular basis. That helps keep me centered and looking forward. Do you have a particular style, TM or otherwise, that you gui- guides you? I do kundalini yoga and okay. I got into that because there was a book called um, the meditation as medicine. I think it was. Yeah. Apparently I'm weak on titles, but yeah. I think that's right. And that has served me quite well in terms of getting energy flowing and this allowing by, me uh, to. Cameron Stoth and Singh Kassler, right? Kulsa. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That allows the energy to flow through me and have ideas come. So that's really good. It's about creativity and opening up and and relaxing and and all those things that are hard to do when when life is stressful. Well, uh, I, I have two questions I want to close with. Uh, the first I'll ask, and then we'll get a little bit more um, background on how folks can reach you. You must be at the you know, bleeding edge of technology in order to deliver the the workforce of the future. I'd love to know what excites you. What do you see on the horizon? Two things. Uh, I was just at the NAPSEP Continuing Education Conference, and two things I saw that were great. One is a panel-level battery, so a battery that fits right behind the panel. Yada energy. Yada energy, right? And I, th- th- that blew me away. And then um, SPAN. Yeah. Have you, have you met the SPAN people as well? Yeah. 
you know, the, yep. the smart electrical panel for managing energy, right? Totally. Yeah. The, the, the fact that, you know, living in California, Northern California, which I'm now moving from, by the way, but w- while I live there, power gets turned off, right? If you're, you're out of town or out wherever and power's turned off and if, you know, how do you make sure that you're making sure that all the power in your battery goes to the things that you need to power at that point, right? So, I mean, it's, that's brilliant, right? So I think that's, those are my two favorite in the last week. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, I wish I had had a chance. I met Arch Rao really coincidentally. He was sitting beside me on a flight back from SPI 2019 to Oakland from Salt Lake City. It was serendipity. It was one of those where he was so ready to sleep and so was I that we talked on the jetway and we talked for three minutes or five minutes. And then the next time we talked was like a year later when I finally was able to get him on the show and we did an interview, which is a fantastic one. If, if, if you haven't listened to it, his interview was great. And then I don't know that I've ever said this directly on the show and I'm not, I don't mind saying it here. I am not only a huge fan of Yada, but I've been working with them and their leadership team for the last two years directly in a contract basis. And I'm an investor in the company now. And um, they just recently were a sponsor for a quarter, all of Q1. They were a sponsor for Suncast, which I'm grateful for. Nice. Now I have goosebumps. (laughs) I just have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, Omid, the CEO there. He's just really knocked out of the park. against all odds when everyone said he couldn't do it, not only just from a technology, but from a, from a first time founder perspective, the guy, you know, he and his team just raised a massive series A. He just raised a series A that is most people's series B. Now he's nice. in manufacturing. And so we know that that's more common, but they're really poised to do great things. And we, we invested in them through, um, the climate Avengers, the, the investment syndicate that uh, I'm a part of. And, and I just said, I wish that it's, I don't know. I don't know if Arch listens to the show, but Arch, I wish you had let me invest in your Series A. That would have been. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this and you're about to do a seed round or a Series A, please let me know. I can bring you good people. I can bring you good people. I can bring you good people. So, uh, my little PSA there. I'm glad you brought Span and Yada up. I wouldn't have guessed that those were the two examples. They're just well, so cool, right? They really are cool. They're cool tech. Um and, you know, Span is just kind of like boring tech until you get under the hood. It's like whoever thought about the load panel in the home. The being, electrical panel, right? It's like being right. sexy. Yeah, it's unsexy and, and altogether revolutionary. Well, I'm sure folks will want to touch base with you in some way. What's the best way to find you and, and also to find Solar Energy International for that one or two people who maybe have never heard of it? <laughs> uh, the best way is on LinkedIn. Um, I, I love to connect with people there. I can attest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, because everybody can come there. It's, it's, it's all, it's equitable and it's diverse. And I love that. And so I'm well reached there, I think. Fantastic. Well, we'll, we'll certainly link to the, uh, to your profile on LinkedIn. And I can attest that of the myriad of ways Elizabeth had to communicate with me. It routinely came back to direct messages in LinkedIn, which I was grateful for because uh, I kind of hate email and it gets lost in my inbox. Where is the, what's the, I love the website, but I want you to say the website. Our website? Oh, solarenergy.org. Solarenergy.org. That's right. <laughs> Easy to remember, hard to forget. Well, Let's end today, as we always do, with what we call a bold prediction. Elizabeth, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? 
Well, I think in this industry, so many people track everything. So I don't know that I'd say <laughs> nobody's tracking it, but I think what's amazing about the Ford 150 Lightning, the yeah. electric Ford, yeah. is mm-hmm. that that will bring the conversation of solar and storage to middle America, right? Mm, and they can yeah. understand that their truck can power their house and their house can power their truck. That opens conversation. Well, can I get solar on my roof to make it all happen? And when it goes down, I'm just going to bi-directionally plug it back in. That gets everybody to understand it. And you're always looking for that crystallized moment in an industry and that's it. That gets everybody to understand what solar is about, what batteries are about, and that's going to make it go. And as as uh, Bill Brooks said, it's like you, you're basically buying the battery and you get the car for free, right? Well, if ever where there were two folks, I think you should take advice from it's Elizabeth Sanderson and Bill Brooks. <laughs> I completely, I completely concur. And the number of posts of our mutual connections on LinkedIn recently proud of their Ford Electric uh, or their Rivian or their Mustang is uh, is actually staggering and altogether encouraging. And I agree with you that it is, as our friend Bill Nussie said in his book, that EV charging is the Trojan horse that is going to usher in a whole new era of electric everything. And solar sits at the top, sits at the top of that pile as the number one application that feeds and makes it sustainable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Elizabeth, it is such an honor to finally have you on the show. Elizabeth Sanderson is the executive director for Solar Energy International, a 30-year organization that has changed and continues to change the way that folks learn how to install solar and now energy storage. I hope that you'll come back sometime soon. Oh, Nico, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. My, my, Solar Warriors, that was a really insightful and uh, heartfelt conversation. Hopefully you really enjoyed this deep dive into what are the core skills needed to build an organization? What drives the passion that Elizabeth has for education? How she resourced her own transition over to renewables. I'd love to know what did you learn? My favorite thing was earlier in the conversation, Elizabeth saying her father really leaned into her to invest in herself. And as you've heard through this conversation, it really comes clear and illuminates her overarching life goal, the ways that she thinks about investing in herself and the tools she brings to the table to have a greater impact on uh, the world and on our industry in so doing. I'd love to hear from you. What did you learn from this episode and what would you like to see us doing more of as a result? If there are ways that we can help you grow, please let us know. You can email me directly, nico at mysuncast.com, but you could also just find the post that we've left on LinkedIn that highlights this conversation with Elizabeth and give it a like. Leave us a comment about what you learned and what you'd like to see more of from SEI or from Suncast. Since I know that you're going to be online doing that, if you would share the episode, that would also just be gravy on top, the cherry, if you will. And uh, I want to make sure that you are subscribed and that you're tuning in next week we'll go right into a tactical tuesday and on tuesdays and which is practical advice in short form usually under 30 minutes and another executive profile like this one usually long form 60 minutes or longer deep dive into the careers of those leading the clean energy revolution thanks once again to our sponsors who help make this show free 
to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And that's also where you could learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>